Chapter 34 of The Mesmerous Victim by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Avenger For a month, Gilbert wandered round the sick girl's lodgings, inventing work in the gardens in their neighborhood so that he could keep his eye constantly on the windows. In this time he had grown paler. On his face youth was no more to be viewed than in the strange fire in his eyes and the dead white and even complexion his mouth curled by dissimulation his sidelong glance and the sensitive quivering of his muscles belonged already to later years looking up bill hook in hand as a horseman struck sparks from the ride by the walk he recognized philip tavernet he moved toward the hedgerow but the cavalier urged his horse toward him calling out hey gilbert the young man's first impulse was for flight for panic seized him, and he felt like racing over the garden and the ponds themselves. "'Do you not know me? Gilbert!' shouted the captain in a gentle tone which was understood by the incorrigible youth. Comprehending his folly, Gilbert stopped. He retraced his steps, but slowly and with distrust. "'Not at first, my lord,' he said, trembling. "'I took you for one of the guards.' and as i was idling i feared to be brought to task and booked for punishment content with this explanation philip dismounted put the bridle round his arm and leaning the other hand on gilbert's shoulder which visibly made him shudder he went on what is the matter boy oh i can guess my father has been treating you with harshness and injustice but i have always liked you so you have then forget the evil others do you my sister has also been always good to you hardly replied gilbert with an expression no one could have understood for it embodied an accusation to andrea and an excuse for himself bursting like pride while groaning like remorse i understood said philip she is little high-handed at times but she is good-hearted do you know where our good andrea is at present in her rooms i suppose sir gasped gilbert struck to the heart how am i to know alone as usual and pining in all probability alone since nicole has run away nicole run away with her sweetheart at least it is presumed so said gilbert seeing that he had gone too far i do not understand you gilbert one has to wrench every word out of you try to be a little more amiable you have sense and learning so do not mar your acquirements with an affected roughness unbecoming to your station in life and not likely to lift you to a higher but i do not know anything about what you ask of me i am a gardener and am ignorant of what goes on in the palace but gilbert I believed you had eyes, and owed some return in watchfulness to the house of Tavernay, however slight may have been its hospitality. "'Master Philip,' returned the other in a high, hoarse voice, for Philip's kindness and another unspoken feeling had mollified him. "'I do like you, and that is why I tell you that your sister is very ill.' "'Very ill?' ejaculated the gentleman why did you not tell me so at the start what is it 
he asked, walking so quickly. "'Nobody knows. She fainted three times in the grounds yesterday, and the Delphiness's doctor has been to see her as well as my lord the baron.' Philip was not listening any farther, for his presentiments were realized, and his fortitude came to him in face of danger. He left his horse in Gilbert's charge and ran to the chapel. Gilbert put the horse up in the stable and ran into the woods like one of those wild or obscene birds which cannot bear the eye of man. On entering the antechamber, Philip missed the flowers of which his sister used to be fond, but which irritated her since her indisposition. As he entered, she was musing on a little sofa before mentioned. Her lovely brow, surcharged with clouds, drooped lowly, and her fine eyes vacillated in their orbits. Her hands were hanging, and though the position ought to have filled them with blood, they were white as a waxen statue's. Philip caught the strange expression, and alarmed as he was, he thought that his sister's ailment had mental affliction in it. The sight caused so much trembling in his heart that he could not restrain a start in flight. Andrea lifted her eyes, and rose like a galvanized corpse with a loud scream. Breathlessly she clung to her brother's neck. "'Yes, Philip, you!' She panted, and force quitted her before she could speak more. "'Yes, I, who returned to find you ill,' he said, embracing and sustaining her, for he felt her yield. "'Poor sister, what has happened to you?' Andrea laughed with a nervous tone, which hurt him instead of encouraging, as she intended. "'Nothing. The doctor whom the Dauphiness kindly sent me says it is nothing he can remedy. I am quite well, save for some fainting fits which came over me.' "'But you are so pale.' "'Did I ever have much color? "'No, but you were alive at that time. While now—' it is nothing the pleasant shock of seeing you again dear andrea but as he pressed her to his heart her strength fled once more and she fell on the sofa whiter than the muslin curtains on which her face was outlined she gradually recovered and looked handsomer than ever your emotion at my return is very sweet and flattering but i should like to know about your illness to what you attribute it i do not know dear the spring the coming of the flowers you know i have always been nervous yesterday the perfume of the persian lilacs nearly suffocated me i believe it was then i was taken bad strange to say i who used to be so fond of the flowers hold them in execration now for over two weeks not so much as a daffodil has entered my rooms but let us leave them it is the headache I have, which caused a swoon and made Mademoiselle de Tavernay a happy girl, because it has drawn the notice of the Dauphiness upon her. She has come here to see me. Oh, Philip, what a delicate friend and charming patroness she is! But since her doctor says there is nothing to be alarmed at, tell me why you have been alarmed. It was that little numbskull, Gilbert, of course. Gilbert, repeated the lady testily, did you believe that little idiot, who is only able in doing or saying ill? But how is it I see you without any notice? Answer me why you cease to write. Only for a few days. For a full fortnight, you negligent girl. Ha! 
I was utterly forgotten there, even by my sister. They were in a dreadful hurry to pack me off, yet when I got there I never heard a word about the fabulous regiment of which I was to take command, as promised by the king, by the Duke of Richelieu, to our father himself. Oh, do not be astonished at that, said the girl. The duke and father are quite upset about it. They are like two bodies with one soul. But father sometimes cries out against him, saying he is betrayed. Who betrays him? I do not know. And between us, I little want to know. Father lives like a soul in purgatory, fretting about something which never comes. But the king, he is not well disposed to us speak low the king replied andrea looking timidly around i am afraid the king is very fickle the interest which he professed for our house for each of us cooled off without my being able to understand it he does not look at me and yesterday he turned back on me which was when i fainted in the garden then little gilbert was right to tell everybody that i fainted what does it matter to the miserable little rogue i know my dear philip added andrea laughing that it is not the proper thing to faint in a royal residence but it is not one of those things that one does for the fun of it poor dear i can well believe that it is not your fault but go on that is all and Master Gilbert might have withheld his remarks about it. There, you are abusing the poor boy again. And you, taking his defense? For mercy's sake, do not be so rude to him, so hard, for I have heard how you treat him. But, goodness, what is the matter now? This time she fainted so that it took a long time for her senses to return. Undoubtedly you suffer said philip so as to alarm persons more bold than i am when you are concerned say what you like this is a case that wants attending to i will see your doctor myself he concluded tranquilly end of chapter thirty four recording by john van stan savannah georgia another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Chapter 35 of The Mesmerous Victim by Alexandre Dumas. Translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Misunderstanding The day was closing, and Dr. Louis, who was trying to read a medical tract as he came along in the twilight to the chapel, was vexed at the interposition of an opaque body to intercept the scanty light. Raising his head and seeing a man before him, he asked, What do you want? Excuse me. "'But is not this Dr. Louis?' asked Philip de Tavernay. "'Yes, sir,' replied the doctor, shutting his book. "'I would like a word with you.' 
pardon me but i am in attendance on her royal highness the dauphiness and but the lady i wish to ask you about is in her household do you mean mademoiselle de tavernay precisely aha said the doctor quickly examining the young captain i am afraid she is very bad for she went off into a swoon more than once while i was speaking to her this afternoon oh you seem to take this to heart i love mademoiselle de tavernay more than my life he spoke the words with such exalted brotherly affection that the doctor was deceived oh so it is you who is the lover he exclaimed philip fell two steps back carrying his hand to his brow and becoming pale as death mind sir you insult my sister oh your sister excuse me captain but your air of mystery uh, the hour of your addressing me in the place all led me into error which i deplore stay sir you think that mademoiselle de tavernay has a lover captain tavernay i have not said a word of the sort to the dauphiness to your father or to you press me no more on the contrary we must speak of this and yet it is impossible i should have to give up all the religion of my life it is accusing an angel it is defying heaven doctor let me require you to approve this science may err seldom but doctor promise me that you will come and see her when you return from the dauphiness it is the boon the victim would not be refused by the executioner you will see her again it is useless but i should like to be mistaken captain i will come and see your sister to-night dr louis was one of those grave and honorable men for whom science is a holy thing and who study religiously in a materialistic age he studied mental maladies under the husk of the practitioner he had a heart and that was why he told philip that he hoped he had erred that was why too he came to make a more full examination and was true to his appointment whether by accident or from emotion due to the doctor's call andrea was seized with one of those fainting fits which had so alarmed her brother and she was staggering with her handkerchief carried to her mouth in pain the doctor assisted her to the sofa and sat down on it beside her she was astonished at the second visit of one who had already declared the case insignificant that same morning and still more that he should take her hand not like a doctor to feel her pulse but like a friend she was almost going to snatch it away do you desire to see me or is it merely the desire of your brother he asked my brother did announce his intention of seeing you but after your having said the matter was of no moment i should not have disturbed you myself your brother seems to be excitable jealous of his honor and intractable on some points i suppose this is why you have not unbosomed yourself to him andrea looked at him with supreme haughtiness allow me to finish it is natural that seeing the pain of the young gentleman and foreseeing his anger you should obstinately keep secret before him but towards me the physician of the soul as well as of the body one who sees and knows you will be spared half the painful road of revelation 
and I have the right to expect you will be more frank. Doctor, replied Andrea, if I did not see my brother darkened with true grief, and yourself with a reputation of gravity, I might believe you were in a plot to play some comedy with me, and to frighten me into taking some disagreeable medicine. I entreat you, young lady, said the doctor, frowning, to stop in this course of dissimulation. Dissimulation? Would you rather, I said, hypocrisy? Sir, you offend me. You mean that I read you clearly? Will you spare me the pain of making you blush? I do not understand you, said the girl three times, looking at the doctor with eyes shining with interrogation and defiance, and almost with menace. But I understand you. You doubt science, and you hope to hide your condition from the world. But undeceive yourself. With one word I pull down your pride. You are ancient. Andrea uttered a frightful shriek and fell back on the sofa. This cry was followed by the crash of the door flying open, and Philip bounded into the room, drawing his sword and crying, "'You lie!' Without letting go the pulse of the fainted woman, the doctor turned round to the captain. "'I have said what it was my duty to say,' he replied, "'and it is not your sword, in or out of the sheath, which will belie me. I deeply sorrow for you, young gentleman, for you have inspired as much sympathy as this girl has aversion by her perseverance in falsehood. Andrea made not a movement, but Philip started. I am father of a family, went on the doctor, and I understand what you must suffer. I promise you my services as I do my discretion. My word is sacred, and everybody will tell you that I hold it dearer than my life. This is impossible. It is true. Adieu, Captain. When he was gone, Philip shut all the doors and windows, and coming back to his sister, who watched with stupor these ominous preparations, he said, folding his arms, You have cowardly and stupidly deceived me. Cowardly because I loved you above all else and esteemed you, and my trust ought to have induced your own, though you had no affection stupidly because a third person holds the infamous secret which defames us because spite of your cunning it must have appeared to all eyes lastly because if you had confessed the state to me i might have saved you from my affection for you your honour so long as you were not wedded belongs to all of us that is you have shamed us all now i am no longer your brother since you have blotted out the title only a man interested in extorting from you by all possible means the whole secret, in order that I may obtain some reparation. I come to you full of anger and resolution, and I say that you shall be punished as cowards deserve for having been such a coward as to shelter yourself behind a lie. Confess your crime, or— Threats? To me? cried the proud Andrea. To a woman? and she rose pale and menacing likewise. Not to a woman, but to a faithless, dishonored creature. Threats, continued Andrea, more and more exasperated. 
to one who knows nothing can understand nothing of this except that you are looked upon by me as sanguinary madmen leagued to kill me with grief if not with shame i you shall be killed if you do not confess said philip die on the instant for heaven hath doomed you and i strike at its bidding the convulsively young man convulsively picked up his sword and applied the point like lightning to his sister's breast yes kill me she screamed without shrinking at the smart of the wound she was even springing forward full of sorrow and dementia and her leap was so quick that the sword would have run through her bosom but for the sudden terror of philip and the sight of a few drops of red on her muslin at the neck making him draw back at the end of his strength and his anger he dropped the blade and fell on his knees at her feet he wound his arms round her no andrea he cried it is i who shall die you love me no more and i care for nothing in the world oh you love another to such a degree that you prefer death to a confession poured out on my bosom oh andrea it is time that i was dead she seized him as he would have dashed away and wildly embraced him and covered him with tears and kisses no philip you are right i ought to die since i am called guilty but you are so good pure noble that nobody will ever defame you and you should live to sorrow for me not curse me well sister replied the young man in heaven's name for the sake of our old times love fear nothing for yourself or him you love i require no more of you not even his name enough that the man has pleased you and so he is dear to me let us quit france i hear that the king gave you some jewels let us sell them and get away together we will send half to our father and hide with the other i will be all to you and you all to me i love no one so that i can be devoted to you andrea you see what i do for you you see you may rely on my love come do you still refuse me your trust will you not call me your brother in silence andrea had listened to all the desperate young man had said only the throbbing of her heart indicated life only her looks showed reason philip she said after a long pause you have thought that i loved you no longer poor brother and loved another man now i forgive you all but the belief that i am impious enough to take a false oath well i swear by high heaven which hears me by our mother's soul it seems that she has not long enough defended me alas that a thought of love has never distracted my reason now god hath my soul in his holy keeping and my body is at your disposal then there is witchcraft here cried philip i have heard of philters and potions someone has laid a hellish snare for you awake none could have won this prize sleeping they have despoiled you but we are together now and you are strong with me you confide your honor in me and i shall revenge you yes revenge for it would be for a crime said the girl with a somber glow in her eyes well 
let us search out the criminal together continued the knight of redcastle have you noticed any one spying you and following you about have you had letters has a man said he loved you or led you to suppose so for women have a remarkable instinct in such matters no one nothing have you never walked out alone i always had nicole with me nicole a girl of dubious morals have i known all about her escapade only that she is supposed to have run away with her sweetheart how did you part naturally enough she attended to her duties up to nine o'clock when she arranged my things set out my drink for the night and went away your drink may she not have mixed something with it no for i remember that i felt that strange thrill as i was putting the glass to my lips what strange thrill the same i felt down at our place when that foreign lord baron balsamo came to our home something like vertigo a dazzling a loss of all the faculties i was at my piano when i felt all spin and swim around me looking before me i saw the baron reflected in a mirror i remember no more except that i found myself waking in the same spot without ability to reckon how long i had been unconscious is this the only time you experience this feeling again on the night of the accident with the fireworks i was dragged along with the crowd when suddenly on the point of being mangled a cloud came over my eyes and my rigid arms were extended through the cloud i just had time to catch a glimpse of that man i fell off into a sleep or swoon then you know that baron balsamo carried me away and brought me home yes and did you see him again on the night when nicole fled no but i felt all the symptoms which betoken his presence i went into sleep when i woke i was not on the bed but on the floor alone cold as in death i called for nicole but she had disappeared twice then you saw this baron joseph balsamo in connection with this strange sleep then the third time i divined that he was near said andrea who began to understand his inference it is well said philip now you may rest tranquil and abate not your pride andrea i know the secret thank you dear sister we are saved he took her in his arms pressed her affectionately to his heart and borne away by the fire of his determination dashed out of the rooms without awaiting or listening for anything he ran to the stables saddled and bridled his steed with his own hands and rode off at the top of speed to paris end of chapter thirty five recording by john van stan savannah georgia Chapter thirty six of the Mesmerist Victim by Alexander Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Two Sorrows Philip was ignorant of Balsamo's address, but he remembered that of the lady who he had said had harbored Andrea. The Marchioness of Sevigny's maid supplied him with the directions, and it was not without profound emotion that he stood before the house in St. Cloud Street, where he conjectured Andrea's repose and honor were entombed. 
He knocked at the door with a sure enough hand, and as was the habit, the door was opened. Leading his horse, he entered the yard, but he had not taken four steps before he was faced by Fritz. "'I wish to speak to the master of the house, Count Phoenix,' said Philip, vexed at this simple obstacle and frowning as though the German were not fulfilling his duty. He fastened his horse to a hitching ring in the wall and proceeded up to the house. "'My lord is not at home,' answered Fritz. "'I am a soldier, and so understand the value of orders,' said the captain. "'Your master cannot have foreseen my call, which is exceptional.' "'The prohibition is for everybody,' replied Fritz, blundering. "'Oh, then your master is in.' "'Well, suppose he is,' challenged Fritz, who was beginning to lose patience. "'Then I shall wait till I see him.' "'My lord is not at home,' repeated the valet. "'We have had a fire here, and the place is not fit to live in.' "'But you are living here.' "'I am the caretaker, and anyway,' he continued getting warm, "'whether the count is in or not in, people do not force their way in. "'If you try to break the rule, why, I will put you out,' he added tranquilly. "'You?' sneered the dragoon of the Dauphiness's regiment with kindling eye. "'I am the man,' rejoined Fritz, with his national peculiarity of being the more cool while the more roused up. The gentleman had his sword out in a minute, but Fritz, without any emotion at the sight of the steel or calling, perhaps he was alone in the house, plucked a short pike off the trophy of arms, and attacking Philip like a single stick-player rather than a fencer, shivered the court sword. The captain yelled with rage and sprang to the panelpy to get a weapon for himself, but at this a secret door opened, and the count appeared enframed in the dark doorway. "'What is this noise, Fritz?' he asked. "'Nothing, my lord,' replied the German, but placing himself with the pike on guard so as to defend his master, who, standing on the stairs, was half above him. "'Count Phoenix,' said Philip, is it the habit in your country for visitors to be received by the pike-points of your valets, or only a peculiar custom of your noble house? At a sign, Fritz lowered his weapon and stood it up in a corner. "'Who are you?' queried the Count, seeing badly in the corridor lamplight. "'I am Philip of Tavernay,' replied the officer, thinking the name would be ample for the Count's conscience. "'Tavernay?' "'My lord, I was handsomely entertained by your father. "'Be welcome here,' said the Count. "'This is better,' uttered Philip. "'Be good enough to follow me.' Balsamo closed the secret door, and walked before his guest to the parlour where he had outfaced the five masters of the Invisibles. It was lighted up as though visitors were expected, but that was only one of the habits of this luxurious establishment.' "'Good evening, Captain Tavernay,' said Phoenix in a voice so mild and low that it made him look at him. He started back. He was but the shadow of himself. A smile of mortal sorrow flitted on the pallid lips. "'I must offer excuses for my servant,' he said. "'He was only obeying orders, and you must own that you were in the wrong to overbear them.' "'My lord!' You must know that there are cases when circumstances overrule. 
returned Philip. And this is one of them. To speak to you, I was bound to brave death. Speak quickly, said Balsamo, for I warn you that I listen out of kindness, and that I am soon tired. I shall speak as I ought to do, and at what length I see fit, and whether you please or not, I shall commence with a question. At this a flash of lightning was disengaged from Balsamo's terrible, frowning brows. Sir, said he, with a tone which he forced to be calm while haughty, since I have had the honor to see you, I have met misfortune. My house has been partly burnt and many valuable objects destroyed. Very valuable. Understand. The result is that I am grieved and a little estranged by this grief. I beg you to be clear, therefore, or I must immediately take leave of you. Oh, no, replied Philip. You are not going to leave as easily as you say. You may have had misfortunes, but one has befallen me, far greater than any of yours, I am sure. Balsamo smiled hopelessly as before. The honor of my family is lost, my lord, and you can restore it. Indeed. You must be mad. And he put out his hand to ring a bell, and yet with so dull and feelingless a gesture that Philip did not stay it. I am mad said he in a broken voice. But do you not understand that the question is of my sister, whom you held senseless in your arms on the 31st of May last, and whom you took to a house no doubt of ill fame? My sister, of whom I demand the honor, sword in hand! What a lot of beating the bush to come to a plain fact! You say I insulted. Who says I insulted your sister? She herself, my lord. Verily, you give me a very sad idea of yourself and your sister. You ought to know that it is the vilest of speculations that some women make with their fame. As you come to me bursting in at my door with your sword flourished like the bully in the Italian comedies who quarrels for his sister, it proves that she has great need of a husband, or you of money. For you hear that I make gold— you are mistaken on both points, sir. You will get no money, and your sister will remain unwed. Then I will have all the blood in your veins, roared Philip. No, I want it, to shed it on a more serious occasion. So, take yourself off, or if you do not and make a noise, I shall call Fritz, who at a sign from me will snap you in twain like a reed. Be gone! As Philip tried to stop him ringing the bell, he opened an ebony box on a gilt console and took out a pair of pistols, which he cocked. "'Well, I would rather this. Kill me,' said the young man, "'because you have dishonored me.' He spoke the words with so much truth that Balsamo said as he bent mild eyes upon him, "'Is it possible that you are acting in earnest?' And that Mademoiselle de Tavernay alone conceived the idea and urged you forward? I am willing to admit that I owe you satisfaction. I swear on my honor that my conduct towards your sister on that memorable night was irreproachable. Do you believe me? You must read in my eyes that I do not fear a duel. Do not be deceived by my apparent weakness. 
It is a fact that I have scant blood in my face, but my muscles have lost none of their strength. See. With one hand and no apparent effort, he raised off its pedestal a massive bronze vase. Well, my lord, I grant that for the thirty-first of May, but you use a subterfuge. You have seen my sister since. Balsamo wavered, but he said, True, I have seen her and his brow clouded with terrible memories. But, granting that I have seen her, what does that prove against me? You did it to plunge her into that inexplicable sleep, which she has felt three times at your approach, and which you took advantage of, to commit a crime. Again, who says this? My sister. How could she know? being asleep. Ha! You confess that she was put to sleep? More than that, I put her to sleep. In what end? To dishonor her? In what end? Alas, said the mesmerist, letting his head fall on his breast, to have her reveal a secret more precious than life. And during that night, my sister is a mother. True, exclaimed Balsamo. I remember I omitted to awaken her, and some villain profited by her sleep on that dreadful night. Dreadful for all of us. You are mocking me? No. I will convince you. Take me to your sister. I have committed an oversight, but I am pure of crime. I left the girl in a magnetic slumber. In compensation of this fault, which it is just to pardon me, I will give up to you the malefactor's name. Tell it! Tell it! I know it not, but your sister does. But she has refused to name him. Refused you, but not me. Will you believe her if she accuses someone? Yes, for— she is an angel of purity. Balsamo called his man and ordered the horses to be harnessed to his carriage. You will tell me the guilty man's name, said Philip. My friend, said the Count, your sword was broken in my house. Let me replace it with another. He took off the wall a magnificent rapier with a chiseled hilt which he placed in the officer's sheath. And you? I have no need of a weapon, he continued. My defense is at Trianon, and my defender will be yourself when your sister shall have spoken. End of chapter 36 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia Chapter 37 of The Mesmerist Victim by Alexandre Dumas Translated by Henry L. Williams This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. THE GUILTY ONE Driven by Fritz, the Count's excellent team covered the ground swiftly. Philip was silent, if not patient, during the ride, for he felt that he was not the superior power which could persuade or domineer over this wonderful man. When they had passed the palace gates and were near the chapel, he stopped. "'A last word, my lord,' he said. "'I do not know what question you were to put to my sister, at least.' 
spare her the incidents of the horrible scene passing during her unconsciousness spare the purity of the soul since the reverse befell the virginity of the body captain replied balsamo mark this well i never came into these gardens farther than the hedges you see yonder fronting the line of buildings where your sister is lodged as for the scene which you fear the effect of on her mind the effect will be for yourself alone and on a sleeping person for i will at the present send your sister into the mesmeric sleep he made a halt folding his arms and turning toward the house where andrea dwelt he stood quiet for a space frowning with an expression of will strong on his face it is done she is asleep he said you doubt to prove that i can command her at a distance i order her to come and meet you at the foot of the stairs where took place our last interview when i see that i shall believe said the officer they went and stood in the grove and balsamo held out his hand toward the chapel a sound made them start in the next cluster of trees look out there is a man said balsamo i see it is gilbert one of the gardeners here but he used to be a retainer of ours said philip have you anything to fear from him no i should think not but never mind stay if he is up already to work others may be about during this time gilbert fled frightened for seeing philip with balsamo he instinctively comprehended that he was lost my lord said philip yielding to the charm the magnetizer exercised on everybody if really your power is great enough to bring my sister hither manifest it by some sign without having her out to a place so public as this where any passer may see and hear you spoke in time was the other's answer grasping his arm and pointing to andrea's white figure appearing at the corridor window as she was obeying the supernatural mandate he held his palm open toward her and she stopped short then like a statue revolved on the pedestal she wheeled round and returned into her room some instants afterwards the two gentlemen were in the same place but rapid as had been their movement time was given for a third person to glide into the house and hide in nicole's room for he understood that his life depended on this interview it was gilbert philip had taken his sister in his arms and placed her in a chair while the count shut the door then he took up a candle and passed it to and fro before her eyes without the flame causing her lids to blink are you convinced that she sleeps that is plain but good god how strange is this sleep said philip i will question her or since you fear i may put some inapt question to her do so yourself but though i have spoken to her and touched her just now she did not appear to hear me or heed me you were not in continuity with her i will place you in contact he joined the hands of brother and sister, and at once Andrea smiled and murmured, "'It is you, brother.' "'She knows you and will answer. Question.' "'But if she did not remember awake, how can she, when sleeping?' "'A mystery of science.' Sighing, he sat in an armchair in the corner. 
Philip was motionless, thinking how to begin, when, as if responding to his reflections, Andrea, with her face clouding like his own, said, "'You are right, brother. It is a sad affliction to the family.' Philip had not expected that she could translate his very mind, and he shuddered. "'Make her speak, sir,' suggested Balsamo. "'How?' by willing that she shall do so. Philip looked at his sister while mentally formulating an inquiry, and she blushed. Oh, Philip, how unkind of you to believe that Andrea would deceive you. Then you love nobody? Not one. But there was an accomplice, the guilty person who must be punished. I do not understand you, brother. "'You must press her,' said Balsamo. "'Question her bluntly, without heed of her modesty, "'for when awakened she will recall nothing of this.' "'But can she answer such questions?' "'Mark,' said Balsamo, "'do you see?' "'She started at the sound of his voice and turned towards him. "'Not so clearly as if you were speaking,' she replied, but still I do see. Then tell me what you see on the night of your fainting. Why do you not commence by the night of the 31st of May, sir? Your suspicions start at that point, methinks. This is the time for all to be made clear. No, my lord, rejoined Philip. It is useless. I now believe in your word of honor. He who disposes of so wondrous a power would not act in an ignoble way. Sister, repeated he, relate to me what happened on the night when you swooned. I do not remember. I suppose as she was asleep. Her spirit was awake, said Balsamo, and holding out his hand to the obstinate medium with a frown, indicating a doubling of will and action, he said, remember i will it i see myself said andrea i hold in hand the glass prepared by nicole oh goodness the wretch she has put some drug in the water and if i drink i am lost i am going to drink it at the moment the count calls what count there and andrea pointed to balsamo i set down the glass and i fall into the sleep i go forth to meet him under my window in the linden grove the count was never in the same room with you sister never you see sir said balsamo you say you went to meet the count oh I obey him when he calls. What did he want? Andrea turned toward the third person, questioningly. Tell it, for I am not listening, said Balsamo, burying his face in his hands to prevent the voice coming to him. He wanted news, said Andrea in a diminishing voice, not to torture the Count's heart of a person who fled from his house and who is now dead 
Faintly as she breathed the last word, Balsamo heard it or guessed it was spoken, for he uttered a gloomy sob. Proceed, said he as a long silence fell. Your brother wants to know all, and he must know it. After the man obtained the information he sought, what did he do? He went away, leaving me in the garden, where I fell as he departed as though the sustaining force had vanished with him. I was still in the sleep, a leaden one. A man came out of the bushes, took me in his arms, and carried me up into my rooms, where he placed me on the sofa. Oh, she said with scorn and disgust, it is that little Gilbert again. Gilbert? He stands to listen. He goes into the other room, but returns frightened. He enters Nicole's closet. Horror! What? Another man comes in, and I cannot defend myself, not even scream, for I am locked in sleep. Who is this man? Brother, she answered in the deepest distress, it is the king. Philip shuddered. Just as I thought, muttered Balsamo. He approaches me, continued the medium. He speaks. He takes me in his arms. He kisses me. Oh, brother. Tears rolled down the young captain's cheeks while he grasped the sword handle which Balsamo had given him. Go on, said the count in a more imperative tone than before. What? A blessing. He is perplexed. He stops. He looks at me in terror. He flees. Andrea is saved. Saved, repeated Philip, who was breathlessly listening to her every word. Stay. I had forgotten the other who lurks in the closet with bared knife in his hand, pale as death. Gilbert? Gilbert follows the king, continued Andrea. He shuts the door behind him. He puts his foot on the candle dropped on the carpet. He advances towards me. Oh! Rising on her brother's arm, her muscles stiffened as though about to snap. The villain! She got out at last and fell without strength. It was he! Then rising so as to reach her brother's ear, she hissed into it, while her eyes glittered. You will kill him, Philip. Oh, yes, said the young man. As he leaped up, he overturned a stand of china, and the porcelain was shivered to pieces. The crash was blended with the bang of a door over which rang Andrea's shriek. We were overheard, said Philip. It is he, said Andrea. Gilbert, everywhere. Yes, I will kill him. And he darted into the ante-room while Andrea fell on the sofa. But Balsamo ran after him and caught him by the arm. Take care, sir, he said. The secret will become public. It will come out, and the echo in royal residences is noisy. To think it is Gilbert, and that he was close to us, listening said Philip. I might have killed the wretch. 
woe to him yes but silence you will find him yet but you must think of your sister you see how fatigued she is with all this emotion yes i understand what she must suffer by my own feelings the misfortune is so great and so difficult to repair i shall die of the shame no you will live for her sake she has need of you love her pity her and preserve her but you have no more want of me he asked after a pause no overlook my suspicions and my insults although the evil happened through you i do not excuse myself but remember what your sister said that she would have drunk the sleeping draught but for my calling her away in that case the guilt would have fallen on the king would you have considered the fate worse no the same crime i see that we were doomed awaken my poor sister lord not for her to see me and perhaps guess what occurred better to do it when at a distance as i sent her to sleep one word still count as you are a man of honour you need not recommend secrecy to me being what you say and because having no farther points of community with mankind i shall forget it and its secrets but rely on me knight if i can in any way be useful but no i can be of use to nobody for i am worth nothing on this earth farewell sir farewell bowing he glanced at andrea whose head dropped forward with all the tokens of pain and lassitude oh science he sighed how many victims for a valueless result as he disappeared andrea reanimated she raised her heavy head as though it were made of lead and looking with astounded eyes at her brother she murmured oh philip what has passed nothing he answered repressing a sob nothing and yet i dreamed i thought that dr louis said nothing you are pure as the daylight but all accuses you and looks black against you a terrible secret is imposed on us both i am going to see dr louis who will tell the dauphiness that you are homesick and we must get you down to tavernay to save you father will not go with us and i will prepare him courage heaven is the goal for all make out that you ought never to have left home that is what made you ill be strong for our honor the honor of both of us depends on this he embraced his sister picked up the sword which had fallen sheathed it with a trembling hand and darted down the stairs end of chapter thirty seven recording by john van stan savannah georgia chapter thirty eight of the mesmerist victim by alexander dumas translated by henry l williams this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Father and Son The knight of Redcastle knew he should find his father at their Paris lodgings. Since his rupture with Richelieu, 
he found life insupportable at versailles and he tried to conquer torpor by agitation and by change of residence with frightful spells of swearing he was pacing the little garden when he saw his son appear in his expectation he snapped at any branch he greeted him with a mixture of spite and curiosity but when he saw his moody face paleness rigid lines of feature and set of the mouth it froze the flow of questions he was about to let go you by what hazard i am bringing bad news returned the captain gravely the baron staggered are we quite alone asked the younger man yes but i think we had better go in as certain things should not be spoken under the light of heaven affecting unconcern and even to smile the baron followed his son into the low sitting-room where philip carefully closed the doors father my sister and i are going to take leave of you what is this said the old noble surprised how about the army i am not in the army happily the king does not require my services i do not understand thee happily i am not driven to the extremity of preferring dishonor to fortune there you have it but your sister does she entertain the same ideas about duty asked the baron frowning she has had to rank them beneath those the utmost necessity the baron rose from his chair grumbling what a foolish pack these riddle-makers are if what i say is an enigma to you then i will make it clear my sister is obliged to go away lest she be dishonored the baron laughed thunder what mottled children i have he sneered the boy gives up his regiment and the girl a stool of state at a princess's feet all for fear of dishonor we are going back to the time of brutus and lucrezia in my era though we had no philosophy if any one saw dishonor coming he whipped out his sword and ran the dishonor through the middle i know it was a sharp method for a philosopher who does not like to see bloodshed but anyway military officers are not cut out for philosophers i have as much consciousness as you on what honor imposes but blood will not redeem a truce to your petty phrases of philosophy cried the old man irritated into trying to be majesty i came near saying patroons you were quite right not to say it retorted the young chevalier quivering the baron proudly bore the threatening and implacable glance i thought a man was born to me in my house said he a man who would cut out the tongue of the first knave who dared to tell of dishonor to the tavernay redcastles sometimes shame comes from an inevitable misfortune sir and that is the case of my sister and myself i pass to the lady if according to my reasoning a man ought to attack the dagger 
the woman should await it with a firm foot where would be the triumph of virtue unless it meets and defeats vice now if my daughter is so weak as to feel like running away my sister is not weak but she has fallen victim to a plot of scoundrels who have cowardly schemed to stain unblemished honour i accuse nobody the crime was conceived in the dark let it die in the dark for i understand in my own way the honour of my house but how do you know asked the baron his eyes glowing with joy at the hope of securing a fresh hold on the plunder in this case philip the glory and honour of our house have not vanished we triumph Ugh! you are really the very thing i feared said the captain with supreme disgust you have betrayed yourself lacking presence of mind before your judge's righteousness before your son i have no luck with my children said the baron a fool and a brute i have yet to say two things to you the king gave you a collar of pearls and diamonds to your sister to you but words matter not my sister does not wear such jewels return them or if you like not to offend his majesty keep them he handed the casket to his father who opened it and threw it on the chiffonier we are not rich since you have pledged or sold the property of our mother for which i am not blaming you but so we must choose if you keep this lodging we will go to tavernay nay i prefer tavernay said the baron fumbling with his lace ruffles while his lips quivered without philip appearing to notice the agitation then we take this house i will get out at once and the baron thought down at tavernay i will be a little king with three thousand a year he picked up the case of jewels and walked to the door saying with an atrocious smile philip i authorize you to dedicate your first philosophical work to me as for andrea's first work advise her to call it louis or louise as the case may be it is a lucky name he went forth chuckling with bloodshot eye and a brow of fire philip clutched his sword-hilt saying god grant me patience and oblivion end of chapter thirty eight recording by john van stan savannah georgia When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chapter 39 of The Mesmerist Victim by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Gilbert's Project For a week that Gilbert had been in flight from Trianon, he lived in the woods with no other food than the wild roots, plants, and fruit. At the last gasp he went into town to Rousseau's house, 
formerly a sure haven, not to foist himself on his hospitality, but to have temporary rest and nourishment. It was there that he obtained the address of Baron Balsamo, or rather Count Phoenix, and to his mansion he repaired. As he entered, the proprietor was showing out the Prince of Rohan, whom a duty of politeness brought to the generous alchemist. The poor, tattered boy dared not look up for fear of being dazzled. Balsamo watched the cardinal go off in his carriage with a melancholy eye and turned back on the porch when this little beggar supplicated him. "'A brief hearing, my lord,' he said. "'Do you not recall me?' "'No. But no matter. Come in,' said the conspirator, whose plots made him acquainted with stranger figures still, and he led him into the first room where he said, without altering his dull tone, but gentle manner, "'You asked if I recalled you. Well, I seem to have seen you before.' "'At Tavernay, when the Archduchess came through, I was a dependent on the family. I have been away three years.' "'Coming to—' "'To Paris.' where I have studied under Monsieur Rousseau, and later a gardener at Trianon by the favor of Dr. Jussieu. You are citing high and mighty names. What do you want of me? Gilbert fixed a glance on Balsamo, not deficient in firmness. Do you remember coming to Trianon on the night of the great storm, Friday, six weeks ago? I saw you there. Aho, uh -huh, said the other. Have you come to bargain for silence? No, my lord, for I am more interested in keeping the secret than you. Then you are Gilbert. With his deep and devouring glance, the magnetizer enveloped the young man whose name comprised such a dreadful accusation. Gilbert stood before the table without leaning on it. One of his hands fell gracefully by his side, the other showed its long, thin fingers and whiteness, spite of a rustic labor. "'I see by your countenance what you come for. You know that a dreadful denunciation is hanging over you from Mademoiselle de Tavernay, that her brother seeks your life, and you think I will help you to elude the outcome of a cowardly act. You ought not to have the imprudence to walk about in Paris.' "'This little matters. "'Yes,' said the young man. "'I love Mademoiselle de Tavernay as none other will love her. "'But she scorned me, who was so respectful to her "'that twice having her in my arms I hardly kissed the hem of her dress.' "'You made up for this respect, "'and revenged yourself for the scorn by wronging her in a trap.' "'I did not set the trap.' The occasion to commit the crime was afforded by you. The Count started, as though a snake had stung him. You sent Mademoiselle Andrea to sleep, my lord, pursued Gilbert. When I carried her into her room, I thought that such love as mine must give life to the statue. I loved her, and I yielded to my love. Am I as guilty as they say? Tell me you who are the cause of my misery balsamo gave him a look of sadness and pity you are right boy i am the cause of your crime and the girl's misfortune i should repair my omission do you love her 
before possessing her i loved with madness now with fury i should die with grief if she repulsed me with joy if she forgave me she is nobly born but poor mused the count her brother has a heart and is not vain about his rank what would happen if you asked the brother for the sister's hand he would kill me but as i wish death more than i fear it i will make the demand if you advise it you have brains and heart though your deed was guilt my complicity apart there is a tavernet the father tell him that you bring a fortune to his daughter the day when she marries you and he may assent but he would not believe you here is the solid inducement he opened a table drawer and counted out thirty treasury notes for ten thousand livres each is this possible cried gilbert brightening such generosity is too sublime you are distrustful right and but discriminate in distrust he took a pen and wrote i give this marriage portion of a hundred thousand livres in advance to gilbert for the day when he signs the marriage contract with mademoiselle andrea de tavernay in the trust the happy match will be made joseph balsamo if i have to thank you for such a boon i will worship you like a god said the young man trembling there is but one god and he reigns above said the mesmerist a last favor give me fifty livres to get a suit fit for me to present myself to the baron supplying him with this little sum balsamo nodded for him to go and with his slow sad step went into the house the young man walked to versailles for he wanted to build his plans on the road where he was much annoyed by the hack drivers who could not understand why such a dandy as he had turned himself out by the outlay of the fifty livres could think of walking all his batteries were prepared when he reached the trianon but were useless as we know the tavernets had departed all the janitor of the place knew was that the doctor had ordered the young lady home for native air disappointed he walked back to paris where he knocked at the door of the house in coqueron street but here again was a blank no one came to the door mad with rage gnawing his nails to punish the body he turned the corner and entered rousseau's house where he went up to his familiar garret he locked the door and hung the handkerchief containing the bank notes to the key it was a fine evening and as he had often done before he went and leaned out of the window he looked again at the garden-house where he had spied andrea's movements and the desire seized him to wander for the last time in the grounds once hallowed by her presence as he recovered from the smart of the failure to his expectation his ideas became sharper and more precise in other times when he had climbed down into the young lady's garden by a rope there was danger because the baron lived there and nicole was out and about if only for the meetings with her soldier lover let me for the last time trace her footsteps in the sand-roof the paths he said the adored steps of my bride he spoke the word half aloud with a strange pleasure he had one merit he was quick to execute a plan once formed 
he went downstairs on tiptoe and swung himself out of the back window whence he could slide down by the espalier into the rear garden he went up to the door to listen when he heard a faint sound which made him recoil he believed that he had called up another soul and he fell on his knees as the door opened and disclosed andrea she uttered a cry as he had done but as she no doubt expected someone she was not afraid who is there she called out forgive me said gilbert with his face turned to the ground gilbert here she said with anger and fear in our garden what have you come here for she looked at him with surprise understanding nothing of his groveling at her feet rise and explain how you come here i will never rise till you forgive me he said what have you done to me that i should forgive you pray explain as the offence cannot be great she went on with a melancholy smile the pardon will be easy did philip give you the key the key of course for it was agreed that i should admit nobody in his absence and he must have helped you in unless you scaled the wall oh happiness unhoped for that you should not have left the land i thought to find the place deserted and only your memory remaining chance only but i hardly know what i am saying it was your father that i wanted to see why my father gilbert mistook the nature of the question because i was too frightened of you to and yet i do not know but that it would be better for us to keep it to ourselves it is the surest way to repair my boldness in lifting my eyes to you but the misfortune is accomplished the crime if you will for really it was a great crime accuse fate but not my heart you are mad and you alarm me oh if you will consent to marriage to sanctify this guilty union marriage said andrea receding for pity consent to be my wife your wife oh sobbed gilbert say that you'll forgive me for that dreadful night that my outrage horrifies you but you forgive me for my repentance <laughs> say that my long restrained love justifies my action oh it was you shrieked andrea with savage fury oh heavens gilbert recoiled before this lovely medusa's head expressing astonishment and fright was this misery reserved for me oh god said the noble girl to see my name doubly disgraced by the crime and by the criminal answer me coward wretch was it you she was ignorant faltered gilbert astounded help help screamed andrea rushing into the house here he is philip he followed her close would you murder me she hissed brought to bay no it is to do good not harm that this time i have come if i proposed marriage it was to act my part fitly and 
i did not even expect you to bear my name but there is another for whom see these one hundred thousand livres which a generous patron gives me for marriage portion he placed the banknotes on the table which served as barrier between them i want nothing but the little air i breathe and the little pit my grave while the child my child our child has the money man you make a grave error said she you have no child it has but one parent the mother you are not the father of my infant taking up the notes she flung them in his face as he retreated he was made so furious that andrea's good angel might tremble for her but at the same moment the door was slammed in his flaming face as if by that violent act she divided the past for ever from the present end of chapter 39 recording by john van stan savannah georgia chapter 40 of the mesmerist victim by alexander dumas translated by henry l williams this librivox recording is in the public domain december the 15th in the morning after a sleepless night gilbert went to count phoenix's the count was lounging on a sofa as though he too had not slept during the night oh it is our bridegroom he said laying aside the book he had opened but was not reading no my lord replied gilbert i have been sent about my business the count turned round entirely who did this the lady that was certain you ought to have dealt with the father fate forbade it fate so we are fatalists i have no right to believe in faith do not juggle with balls which you do not know said balsamo eyeing him with curiosity as he frowned in grown men it is nonsense in the young rashness have pride but don't be a fool to resume what have you done nothing so i return the money and he counted out minutely the notes on the table he is honest mused the count not avaricious he has wit he has firmness he is a man now i want to account for the two louis i had do not overdo it said the other it is handsome to restore a hundred thousand but puerile to return fifty i was not going to return them but i wanted to show you how i spent them for i need to borrow twenty thousand you do not mean any evil to the woman no not to her father or her brother i know but one may wound by dogging a person and annoying him far from anything of that kind i want to leave the country but it would not cost you more than one thousand for that said balsamo in his keen yet unctuous voice conveying no emotions my lord i shall not have a penny in my pocket when i go aboard the ship and i want it for reparation of my fault which you facilitated you are rather given to harping on that one string observed the other with a curling lip 
because I am right. I wish the money for another than myself. I see. The child? My child. Yes, my lord, said Gilbert with marked pride. I am strong, free, and intelligent. I can make my living anywhere. Oh, you will live well enough. Heaven never gives such spirits to an inadequate frame. But if you have no money for yourself, how will you get away? The ports are not open, and no captain will take a novice for a seaman. You suppose that I will aid you to disappear? I know you can, as you have extraordinary powers. A wizard is never so sure of his power that he does not have more than one trap-door to his cell. Gilbert said the wonder-worker, extending his hand toward the young man. "'You have a bold and adventurous spirit. You are a mingling of good and bad, like a woman, stoical and honest. Stay with me, my house being a stronghold, and I will make a very great man of you. Besides, I shall be leaving Paris shortly.' "'In a few months you might do what you like with me,' Gilbert replied. But dazzling as your offer is to an unfortunate man, I have to refuse it. But I have a duty as well as vengeance to perform. Here is your twenty thousand livres, said the Count. You confer obligations like a monarch, said Gilbert, taking up the notes. Better, I trust, for I expect no return. I will repay— with as many years of service as the sum is equal to. But you are going away. Whither? What do you say to America? I shall be glad to cross the sea at two hours' notice for any land, not France. Balsamo had found in his papers a slip of paper on which were three signatures and the line, for Boston from Haver, December 15th, the Adonis, P. J. Master. Will the middle of December suit you? Yes, said Gilbert. Having reckoned on his fingers, Balsamo wrote on a sheet of paper, Receive on the Adonis one passenger, Joseph Balsamo. But this is dangerous, said Gilbert. I may be locked up in the Bastille if this be found on me. Overmuch cleverness makes a man a fool, replied Balsamo, that is a vessel of which i am part owner go to haver and ask for the skipper paul jones forgive me count and accept all my gratitude we shall meet again said balsamo end of chapter forty recording by john van stan savannah georgia Chapter 41 of The Mesmerous Victim by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Kidnapping The day of pain and grief had come. It was the 29th of November. Dr. Louis was in attendance, and Philip was ever on guard. She had come to the point, had Andrea, as if to the scaffold. She believed that she would be a bad mother to the offspring of the low-born lover whom she hated more than ever. At three o'clock in the morning, the doctor opened the door behind which the young gentleman was weeping and praying. "'Your sister has given birth to a son,' he said. 
Philip clasped his hands. "'You must not go near her, for she sleeps. If she did not, I should have said, a son is born and the mother is dead. Now, you know that we have engaged a nurse. I told her to be as ready as I came along by the Pont de Jour. But you shall go for her as she must see nobody else. Profit by the patient's sleep and take my carriage. I have a patient to attend to on Royale Place, where I must finish the night. Tomorrow at eight I will come.' Good night. The doctor directed the servant what to do for the mother and child, which was placed near her, though Philip, remembering his sister's aversion, thought they ought to be parted. The gentleman gone, the waiting woman dozed in a chair near her mistress. Suddenly the latter was awakened by the cry of the child. She opened her eyes and saw the sleeping servant. She admired the peace of the room and the glow of the fire. The cry struck her as a pain at first and then as an annoyance. The child not being near her, she thought it was a piece of Philip's foresight in executing her rather cruel will. The thought of the evil we wish to do never affects us like the sight of it done. Andrea, who execrated the ideal babe and even wished its death, was hurt to hear it wail. "'It is in pain,' she thought. "'But why should I interest myself in its sufferings? I—' the most unfortunate of living creatures. The babe uttered a sharper and more painful cry. Then the mother seemed to know that a new voice spoke within her, and she felt her heart drawn towards the abandoned little one who lamented. What had been foreseen by the doctor came to pass. Nature had accomplished one of her preparations. Physical pain. That powerful bond had soldered the heartstrings of the mother to the progeny. This little one must not appeal to heaven for vengeance, thought Andrea. To kill them may exempt them from suffering, but they must not be tortured. If we had any right, heaven would not let them protest so touchingly. She called the servant, but that robust peasant slept too soundly for her weak voice. However, the babe cried no more. I suppose, mused Andrea, that the nurse has come. Yes. I hear steps in the next room, and the little mite cries not, as if protection was extended over it, and soothed its unshaped intelligence. So, this then is a poor mother who sells her place for a few crowns. The child of my bosom will find this other mother, and when I pass by it will turn from me as a stranger, and call on the hireling as more worthy of its love. It will be my just reward. No, this shall not be. I have undergone enough to entitle me to look mine own in the face. I have earned the right to love it with all my cares and make it respect me for my sorrow and my sacrifice. Slowly the servant was aroused by her renewed cries and went heavily into the next room for the removed child or to welcome the wet nurse. But the latter had not arrived and she returned to say that the babe was not to be seen. Bring it to me and shut that door. Indeed, the wind was pouring in somewhere and making the candle flicker. "'Mistress,' said the servant softly, "'Master Philip told me plainly to keep the child apart from you for fear it would disturb you.' "'Bring me my child,' said the young mother with an outbreak which nearly burst her heart. Out of her eyes, which had remained dry despite her pangs, gushed tears on which must have smiled the guardian angels of little children. 
"'Mistress,' replied the servant, returning, "'I tell you that the child is not there. "'Somebody must have come in.' "'Yes, I heard it. "'The nurse has come, and—where is my brother?' "'He is here, mistress, with the nurse.' Captain Philip returned, followed by a peasant woman in a striped shawl, who wore the smirk customary and the mercenary to her employer. "'My good brother,' said Andrea, "'I have to thank you for having so earnestly pleaded with me to see the baby once more, before you took it away. Well, let me have it. Rest easy. I shall love it.' "'What do you mean?' asked Philip. "'Please, your honor, the babe is neither here nor there.' "'Hush! Let us save the mother,' whispered Philip then aloud. "'What a bother about nothing! Do you not know that the doctor took the child away with him?' "'The doctor?' repeated Andrea with the suffering of doubt, but also the joy of hope. "'Why, yes. You must be all lunatics here. Why—' "'What do you think, that the young rogue walked off himself?' And he affected a merry laugh which the nurse and servant caught up. "'But if the doctor took it away, why am I here?' objected the nurse. "'Just so. Because, why, he took it to your house. Run along back. This Marguerite sleeps so soundly she did not hear the doctor coming for it and taking it away.' Andrea fell back, calm after the terrible shock. Philip dismissed the nurse and sent home the servant. Taking a lantern, he examined the next passage door, which he found ajar, and on the snow of the garden he saw footprints of a man which went to the garden door. "'A man's steps,' he cried. "'The child has been stolen! Whoa! Whoa!' He passed a dreadful night." He knew his father so thoroughly that he believed he had committed the abduction, thinking the child was of royal origin. He might well attach great importance to the living proof of the king's infidelity to Lady Dubarry. The baron would believe that Andrea would sooner or later enter again into favor, and be the principal means of his fortune. When he saw the doctor, he imparted to him this idea, in which he did not share, he was rather inclined to the opinion that in this deed was the hand of the true father. "'However,' said the young gentleman, "'I mean to leave the country. Andrea is going into St. Denis nunnery, and then I shall go and have it out with my father. I will overcome his resistance by threatening the intervention of the Dauphiness, or a public exposure.' "'And the child recovered, as the mother will be in the convent?' i will put it out to nurse and afterwards send it to college if it grows up it shall be my companion but the baron who was regaining strength after a fit of fever was ready to swear that he was innocent of abduction and the captain had to return baffled the same fate awaited him in another quarter the least expected andrea avowed her resolution to live for her son and not to be immured in a convent Philip and the doctor joined in a pious lie. They asserted that the child was dead, that the cries she heard on the night of its disappearance were its last. They were congratulating themselves on the success of their fiction 
when a letter came by the post. It was addressed to Mademoiselle André de Tavernay, Paris, Cochereau Street, the first coach-house door from Plastriere Street. "'Who can write to her?' wondered Philip. "'Nobody but our father knew our address, and it is not his hand.' Thoughtlessly he gave it to his sister, who took it as coolly. Without reflecting or feeling astonishment, she broke open the envelope, but had scarcely read the few lines before she gave a loud scream, rose like a madwoman, and fell with her arms stiffening as heavily as a statue into the arms of the servant who ran up. Philip picked up the letter and read, "'At sea, 15th December, 17th, driven by you I go?' and you will never see me again, but I bear with me my child, who will never call you mother, Gilbert. Oh, said Philip, crushing up the paper in his wrath, I had almost pardoned the crime by chance, but this deliberate one must be punished. By thy insensible head, Andrea, I swear to kill the villain at sight. Doctor, see the poor girl into the convent while I pursue this scoundrel. Besides, I must have this child. I will be at Haver in thirty-six hours. End of chapter 41 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia Chapter 42 of The Mesmerous Victim by Alexander Dumas Translated by Henry L. Williams This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Strange Encounter Philip left his sister in the nunnery, and rode straight to the post-house where he began his journey to the sea. At Haver, he found the first ship for America to be the Brig Adonis, to set sail that day for New York and Boston. He sent his effects on board, and followed with the tide. Having written a farewell letter to the Dauphiness, Philip had no concerns with the land. It might pass as a prayer to his creator, as well as a letter to his fellow-countrymen. "'Your Highness!' he had written. A hopeless man, severed from worldly ties, goes far from you with the regret of having done so little for his future queen. He goes amid the storms of ocean, while you remain amid the whirls and tempests of government. Young and fair, adored, surrounded by respectful friends and idolizing servants, you will no doubt forget one whom your royal hand deigned to lift from the herd. But I shall never forget it, I go into the new world to study how I may most efficaciously assist you on your throne. I bequeath to you my sister, poor blighted flower, who will have no sunshine but your looks. Deign sometimes to stoop as low as her, and in the bosom of your joy and power, and in the concert of unanimous good wishes, rely, I entreat you, on the blessing of an exile whom you will hear and perhaps see no more. On the voyage Philip read a great deal. He took his meals in his room, saved the dinner with the captain, and spent much of the time on deck wrapped in his cloak. The other passengers did not like the sea, and he saw little of them. In the night sometimes Philip heard on the planks above him the steps of the captain, a pale, nervous young man, with a quick, restless eye, with another's, probably the officer of the watch. If it were a passenger, it was a good reason not to go up, as he did not wish to be intrusive. Once, however, as he heard neither voices nor tread, he ventured up. The sky was cloudy, the weather warm, and the myriad of phosphorescent atoms sparkled in the wake. 
It seemed too threatening for most passengers, for none of them were about. At the heel of the bowsprit, however, leaning out over the bow, he dimly descried a figure, some poor passenger of the second class, or deck sort, an exile who was looking forward for an American port as ardently as Philip had regretted that of France. For a long while he watched him, till the chill morning breeze struck him. He thought of turning in, although the stranger only gazed on the dawning white. "'Up early, Captain,' he said, seeing that worthy approach. "'I am always up.' "'Some of your passengers have beaten you this time.' "'You, but military officers are used to being up at all hours.' "'Oh, not me alone,' replied Philip. "'Look at that deep dreamer. A passenger also?' The captain looked and was surprised. "'Who is he?' asked the Frenchman. "'Oh, a traitor,' answered Paul Jones, embarrassed. "'Running after Fortuné. Your brig sails too slowly for him.' Instead of responding, the captain went forward straight to the brooder, to whom he spoke a few words, whereupon he disappeared down a companionway. "'You disturbed his dreams?' said Tavernay. He was not in my way. No, Captain. I just told him that it was freshening and the breeze was killing. The forward-deck passengers are not so warmly clad as you and I. How are we getting along, Captain? Tomorrow we shall be off the Azures, at one of which we shall stop to take fresh water, for it is pretty warm. After twenty days out, they were glad to see any land. Gentlemen, said the captain to the passengers, you have five hours to have a run ashore. On this little island, completely uninhabited, you will find some frozen springs to amuse the naturalists, and good shooting, if you are sportsmen. Philip took a gun and ammunition, and went ashore in one of the two boats carrying the merry visitors, delighted to tread the earth. But the noise was not to his taste, no more than the pursuit of game so tame as to run against his legs and he stopped to lounge in a cool grotto which was not the natural ice-house indicated. He was still in reverie when he saw a shadow at the mouth of the cave. It was one of his fellow passengers. Though he had not been intimate with them, even withholding his name, he felt that here he was bound to extend the honor of the cave by right of discoverer. He rose and offered his hand to this timid, stumbling figure whose fingers closed on his own in acceptance of the courtesy. At the same time as the stranger's face was shown in the twilight, Philip drew back and uttered an outcry in horror. "'Gilbert!' "'Philip!' The soldier gripped the other by the throat and dragged him deeper into the cavern. Gilbert allowed it to be done without a remonstrance. Thrust with his back against the rocks, he could be pushed no farther. "'God is just,' said Philip. "'He hath delivered you to me. You shall not escape.' The prisoner let his hand swing by his side and turned livid. "'Oh, coward and villain!' said the victor. "'He has not even the instinct of the beast to defend himself.' "'Why should I defend myself?' returned Gilbert. "'I am willing to die, and by your hand foremost.' "'I will strangle you!' cried Philip fiercely. "'Why do you not defend yourself, coward?' coward with an effort 
Gilbert tore himself loose and sent the assailant a yard away. Then he folded his arms. "'You see, I could defend myself, but get your gun and shoot me straight. I prefer that to being torn and mangled.' Philip was reaching for his gun, but at these words he repulsed it. "'No,' he said. "'How come you here?' "'Like yourself. On the Adonis.' Oh, you are the skulking thing who did not dine with the other passengers, but took the air at night? I was not hiding from you, for I did not know you were aboard. But you were hiding, not only yourself, but the child whom you stole away. Babes are not taken to sea. With the nurse whom you were forced to engage? I tell you... I have not brought my child, which I removed only that it should not be brought up to despise its father. If I could believe this true, said Philip, I should deem you less of a rogue. But you are a thief. Why not a liar? A man cannot steal his own property, and the child is mine. Wretch, do you flout me? Will you tell me where my sister's child is? Will you restore it to me? I do not wish to give up my boy. Gilbert, listen. I speak to you quietly. Andrea loves the child, your child, with frenzy. She will be touched by your repentance, I promise you. But restore the child, Gilbert. You would not believe me, and I shall not trust you rejoined Gilbert, with dull fire in his eyes and folding his arms. Not because I do not believe you an honorable man, but because you have the prejudices of your caste. We are mortal enemies, and as you are the stronger, enjoy your victory. But do not ask me to lay down my arm. It guards me against scorn, insult, and ingratitude. "'I do not want to butcher you,' said the officer with froth at the mouth. "'But you shall have the chance to kill Andrea's brother. "'One crime more will not matter. "'Take one of these pistols and let us count three. "'Turn and fire.' "'A duel is just what I refuse, Andrea's brother,' said the young man, "'not stooping for the firearm. "'Then—' God will absolve me if I kill you, die like a villain, of whom I clear the world, a sacrilegious bandit, a dog. He fired on Gilbert, who fell in the smoke as if by lightning. Philip felt the sand at his feet fall in from being wet with blood. He lost his reason and rushed from the grotto. When he ran upon the strand, the last boat was waiting. He made its tally right, and no one questioned him. It was not till the subsequent day that Paul Jones noticed that a passenger was missing. End of chapter 42 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia Chapter 43 of The Mesmerous Victim by Alexander Dumas Translated by Henry L. Williams This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. THE LAST ABSOLUTE KING At eight at night, on the ninth of May, 
1774, Versailles presented the most curious and interesting of sights. Since the first day of the month, Louis XV, stricken with a sickness of which the physicians dared not at the outset reveal the gravity, had kept his bed, and began to look around him for truth or hope. Two head physicians sided with the Dauphine, and Dubarry severally. One said that the truth would kill the patient, and the other that he ought to know so as to make a Christian end. But to call in religion was to expel the favorite. When the church comes in at one door, Satan must fly out of the other. While all the parties were wrangling, the disease easily rooted itself in the old debauched body, and so strengthened itself that medicine was not to put it to rout. At the first, the king was seen between his two daughters, the favorite and the courtiers most liked. They laughed and made light of the affair. Suddenly appeared at Versailles the stern and austere countenance of the eldest daughter, the Princess Louise, Lady Superior of St. Denis, come to console her father. She stalked in, pale and cold as a statue of fate. Long since she had ceased to be a daughter to her father and sister to her children. She resembled the prophets of woe, who come in calamities to scatter ashes on the gold and jewels. She happened in at Versailles on a day when Louis was kissing the hands of Countess du Berry and using them as soft brushes for his inflamed cheeks and aching head. On seeing her, all fled. Her trembling sisters ran to their rooms, Lady du Berry dropped a curtsy and hastened to her apartments, the privileged courtiers stole into the outer rooms, the two chief physicians alone stayed by the fireplace. "'My daughter!' muttered the monarch, opening his eyes which pain and fever had closed. "'Your daughter,' said the Lady Louise, "'who comes from God, whom you have forgotten, to remind you. Pursuant to etiquette, your malady is one of the mortal ones which compels the royal family to gather around your bedside. When one of us has the smallpox, he must have the holy sacrament at once administered.' "'Mortal!' echoed the king. "'Doctors, is this true?' The two medical attendants bowed. "'Break with the past,' continued the abbess, taking up his hand which she daringly covered with kisses, "'and set the people an example. Had no one warned you, you ran the risk of being lost for eternity. Now—' Promise to live a Christian if you live, or die one if die you must. She kissed the royal hand once more as she finished, and stalked forth slowly. That evening Lady Dubarry had to retire from the town and suburbs. This is why, on the night in question, Versailles was in tribulation. Would the king mend and bring back Lady Dubarry? or would he die and his successor send her farther than where she paused? On a stone bench, at the corner of the street opposite the palace, an old man was seated leaning on his cane, with his eyes bent on the place. He was so buried in his contemplation among the crowds and groups that he did not perceive a young man who crossed so as to stand by him. This young man had a bald forehead, a hook nose with a twist to it, high cheekbones and a sardonic smile. "'Taking the air?' 
he said as he gave a squint. The old man looked up. "'Ah, my clever surgeon,' he said. "'Yes, illustrious master,' and he sat by his side. "'It appears that the king is getting better. Only the smallpox that so many people have. Besides, he has skillful doctors by him. I wager that Louis the well-beloved will scratch through. Only... People will not cram the churches this time to sing, Oh, be joyful, over his recove. Hush, said the old man, starting. Silence, for you are jesting at a man on whom the finger of God is even now laid. Surprised at this language, the younger man looked at the palace. Do you see that window in which burns a shaded lamp? That represents the life of the king. A friend of mine, Dr. Jussou, will put it out when the life goes out. His successor is watching that signal behind a curtain. This signal warning the ambitious when their error commences tells the poor philosopher like me when the breath of heaven blasts an age and a monarchy look at this night young man how full of storms no doubt i shall see the dawn for i am not so old as not to see the morrow but you are more likely to see the end of this new reign than i ah cried the young man as he pointed to the window shrouded in darkness the king is dead said the old man rising in dread both were silent for a few instants. Suddenly a coach drawn by eight horses galloped out of the palace courtyard with two outriders carrying torches. In the vehicle sat the Dauphine, Marie Antoinette, and the king's sister, Lady Elizabeth. The torchlight flared ominously on their faces. The equipage passed close to the two spectators. "'Long live King Louis the Sixteenth! Long live his queen!' yelled the young man in a shrill voice, as if he were insulting the new rulers rather than greeting them. The Dauphine bowed, the new queen showed a sad, stern face, and the coach disappeared. "'My dear Rousseau, Lady Dubarry is a widow,' jeeringly said the young man. "'She will be exiled tomorrow,' added the other. Farewell, Dr. Marat. How Marat, chief among the Paris revolutionists, fared, we will have to tell in the following pages. His career will be traced as well as those of Andrea, of Gilbert and their son, while we are to behold under another phase the remarkable figure of the arch-conspirator Balsamo, carrying on his gigantic mission of overturning the throne of the Bourbons. The work is entitled the queen's necklace end of chapter 43
Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. End of the second volume of the Marie Antoinette Romances, The Mesmerist Victim, by Alexandre Dumas. Translated by Henry L. Williams. Thank you for listening.